0: you're listening to the recovery roadrunners podcast the sobriety podcast for runners who want to get inspired get informed and start seeing results fast every monday we'll share current events personal stories and tried and true research on how to get sober stay sober and run smarter so that you can up level your life now I'm your host, Amber Graziano, founder and president of Recovery Road Roadrunners, certified running and sobriety coach, K-12 master teacher, and sober mother of two. I've got my co-hosts with me, Minnie and Doug, and between the three of us, we've got over 13 years of sobriety and experience running races from 5K to 100 miles. Our mission is to inspire you to ditch the booze and lace up those running shoes. So let's get moving. Every week we thought it would be neat to introduce a current event just to get the episode rolling. So I came across this. It's the Taco Bell 50K. Now, if anybody listening lives in Denver, this is the race for you. (laughs) Every fall, a group of Denver runners celebrates National Taco Day by running 31 miles using the fast food Mexican chain as aid stations. There's 10 aid stations and as you go through them, you have to order something off the menu. Most of the time, it could be anything that you want. You can pick big or small, but for two of them, you have to order something off of the ultimate menu. It says even one year, there were 40 runners running the Denver Taco Bell 50K challenge.
1: Does it say
2: how many porta potties they
0: have? Not enough.
1: Yeah. <laughs> not enough. Yeah, Two or that's... three per person.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terrible. I'm not sure that, um, yeah. Cause I like to carry food with me. So I'm gonna be re- re- running around with a burrito in my back pocket. Right. So, uh, that sounds terrible. I'm not sure I can make that. Uh, we definitely
1: need some porta potties. As we all know, Taco Bell has a great reputation for clean, fresh, uh, organic food, right? So yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. clearly being facetious, but th- that's like those runs where... Uh, and I know we're not drinkers here, but they make you chug a beer and then run a mile. It, it's mm-hmm. like that, except except it's going to come out the other, the back end, come out the other way.
2: <laughs> it fits in well with the the article that you that chose that former drunks make unstoppable runners because what former drunk hasn't stayed up all night and finished that night with a shitload of Taco Bell.
0: I know, right? I'm I'm thinking about going out to Denver in 2024 and running it with these people. Taco Bell, the franchise, actually supports this race by opening up early on race day. They open up at 7 a.m. and welcome the runners with free breakfast burritos. I mean, oh. that's supportive, guys.
1: Yeah, talking again with the topic of former drunks make great runners. In this particular run, uh, I know I used to think I had a stomach of steel, just from what I would put down there. And you're right, Vinnie, uh, Taco Bell was the last boot chain around here that was open till 3 a.m., I think. And, yeah. uh, you know, around 2 a.m., when everything's, uh, you're all blurry-eyed, that big old bag of Taco Bell was a saving grace. So, you know, we I make jokes about them, but uh, I was pretty thankful that Taco Bell existed back in my drinking days.
2: Yeah, I hear you. We can't drive past a Taco Bell without Amber making a comment. I wish there were vegan tacos at Taco Bell. It's
0: not even and true, you,
2: you probably There
0: said. are vegan tacos at Taco Bell.
2: Yeah, there are. Oh, you, oh that's Jack the... in the Box that you wish they yes. had. Yeah, you were fooled it's for a But, box. but the, my point is you can't pass a Taco Bell without.
0: I love
1: tacos. How much you love tacos.
0: I love tacos. I'm
1: Damn, obsessed I- with tacos. I am also a fan of tacos. I have this uh, health statements uh, thing that I put together to uh, just try and keep me on the right track. And I read it every single morning. And one of them involves pizza and tacos that says, if I'm going to have pizza or tacos for a meal, I will limit myself to two or three slices or tacos because I can have 12. I can have 16 tacos. There's no stopping point.
0: We're all or nothing, whether it's drinks or food. I'm right there with you, Doug. (laughs) Yep, yep. So today, we're talking about why former drunks make unstoppable runners. Say hello, guys.
2: Hey, everybody. This is Vinny. Welcome back. or welcome.
1: And uh, thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. This is Doug, obsessed, sober runner. Happy to be here.
0: So we've decided to talk about this article today with the intention of giving our listeners a confidence boost and a pep talk going into the new year. So if you're a former drunk like the three of us, Don't let it get you down. Use that experience to catapult you into 2024 with the mindset of, I'm a sober runner and I'm a freaking badass. Here's the article, guys. It's written by Caleb Daniloff, and he also wrote a book called Running Ransom Road, which None of the three of us have actually read, but now I'm adding it to my reading list. Here goes. Many drunks won't be swayed by the symbolism of a turned calendar page, but each year, plenty of chronic drinkers and struggling alcoholics figure that January is a chance for a fresh start. To them, I say run. You're already pre-programmed to chew up the pavement, even tackle a marathon. In fact, you've spent a good chunk of your bleary eyed, morally dubious days and nights developing the perfect toolbox single minded focus, endurance, tolerance for mental and physical distress, prowess at spending time alone, aptitude at navigating embarrassment. You can use these tools to build a new house rather than deepening the ditch. So, for the newly sober, instead of fretting about how far you have to go, here are eight reasons why you should think. Look how far I've already come. I love this article. I came across it years and years ago. I think it's about 11 years old. I read it, and I'm like, wow, that guy is speaking directly into my heart and soul. (laughs) What do you guys think?
2: Yeah, I love this article, too. You sent it to me probably a year ago, the first time I read it, and I definitely could
1: relate to it. I had come across this article before I found uh, Recovery Roadrunners, the great uh, internet algorithm in the sky. When I started Googling different running things, brought this article my way, and I read it, and I went... My God, I had no idea when I was doing all that drinking that I was training to be a runner. Uh, you know it's definitely not a training path i'd I'd suggest for anyone. It involves a lot of a lot of pain and a lot of misery, but there is no doubt about it. There are certain things that all that drinking and and all that pain and all that repetition and dehydration, they they really set you up for success when it comes to uh, the type of running we like to do.
0: Let's get into this conversation of former drunks making unstoppable runners. Let's get into the article. Number one on the list is stamina. You know how to keep your eye on the prize. You've gutted out hangovers and sweated through anxiety-ridden mornings after a weekend bender with little food or sleep. So you'll be ready when the marathon's wall starts cracking its knuckles around mile 18. Would yeah, you think, guys? That's
2: an interesting one. Hangovers, sweat it through, anxiety-ridden mornings. For me, the stamina piece, like I said before with the tacos, who of us has not pulled an all-nighter? Probably multiple times, right? So if you're going to run an ultra, that's like Doug said, you didn't know you were training for an ultra when you were slamming beers all night and then... Finishing it up with Taco Bell. Drinking, I guess, unfortunately, was some good training for. for
0: Yeah, (laughs) I I never. uh, I don't know. I never had one or two drinks. I was in it for the long run. When I went to the bar, I was there for six hours, eight hours. I was the last one there. I definitely had stamina in my drinking and I would drink. All weekend long, go on a weekend vendor, I would drink every single day. I was relentless. And I think that stamina has definitely transferred into my running because now I run five, six, seven days a week sometimes. I prefer the long distance runs. I can't remember the last time I actually ran a 5K. I think it was the turkey trot with my kids. For me, I love going the long distance and I... I do believe that I have an immense amount of stamina inside me.
1: Let me just say, before I dive into the stamina topic, that both of you really, really fascinate me. And I have so much respect for both of you in the fact that while you were drinking, you were still running. And I know, Vinny, you had that point, you mentioned, you know, where you got fat and lazy, where that sort of disappeared, yeah. but it really amazes me. And maybe it's just because I was fat and lazy when I was a drinker, but running wasn't even something that was on the table for me. Kudos to both of you. Yeah, in the sense of of stamina, there is no question there were many nights that ended in a blackout where I would pass out somewhere in the apartment that I was living in and you know wake up the next morning realizing that not only had I finished that first bottle, that somewhere in that blackout I had gone out and got another bottle and finished that one too. Have some of these moments when I'm running, uh not so much a blackout, but I get out early when I run. And it's almost like some of that time doesn't quite exist when I get out for some of these runs. The feeling I get is just incredible. So the lack of sleep is not necessarily a thing that I get too concerned about. You know, I get a few hours of sleep and I'm I'm pretty good to go. And that was something that I learned when I was drinking. Because even when I did get extended periods, I found out I wasn't really sleeping. You know, I was never getting into to the REM sleep or the deep sleep uh, because the the alcohol just anesthetizes you and you're, you're just passing out. You're not even really getting any rest. Yeah, I can totally see uh, where that stamina piece comes from.
0: Yep. We're like Energizer bunnies. We just keep going and going and going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so number two, tolerance of physical and mental distress. You're used to skull crushing hangovers, unknown cuts and bruises from the night before, and wincing rays of guilt and shame slicing your brain in half. You'll be able to handle any race day GI issues, race day jitters, or muscle pain. You actually look forward to the pain cave. (laughs) Oh my gosh, pain. I used to wake up every day hungover because I drank wine, and I think wine hangovers are the worst hangovers. I remember driving to work and the sun shining in to my eyes and wincing in pain. I'm like, I got to put my sunglasses on, take Tylenol, put the shades down. It's just too bright. I can't even see the road. And this was my daily commute to work. And I remember after I quit drinking, that same drive to work. And I remember, wow. I can see straight. I'm not in pain anymore. This is amazing. So many days at work in the classroom. I taught second grade. Those first four hours from 8 a.m. until noon, just chugging water, chugging coffee, wincing in pain, just total survival mode. It was awful. It was any noise bothered me. All the conversations going on, I I couldn't keep up with them. I feel like I was just drowning in overwhelm and mental distress. When I was drinking a lot,
2: I always, it seemed like I was always in some sort of mental distress all the time, just stressed out about everything. Not knowing where your car is at three o'clock in the morning can be a fucking stressful situation. You know, (laughs) not knowing how you're going to get to work or you're going to be able to work. All the things you forgot to do because you were drinking all the things that you know you're not going to do because you're drinking and all the excuses and lies you need to make up to get your way out of all that stuff you know you're not going to do or didn't do. You can think about running a marathon, and it's re- you know it's going to hurt. You know it's going to be really painful at mile 21 and 22, but that's really all you need to think about, right? You don't have to think about where your car is and the lies and all that. You just need to think about taking the next step. Knowing what I went through before, using that as a tool to get through whatever's in front of me was great training, and uh, it's—I guess—it prepared me well for uh, just taking one more step, knowing that that's all I have to do.
1: This one really, really speaks to me—the tolerance of physical and mental distress, because that sums up so much of what my drinking became. You know, like Vinny said, with the mental distress so much of my life had just become guilt shame remorse and misery and just living inside of my head and knowing there was another person in there but i just couldn't get there i just couldn't become that person and just constantly taking the wrong actions that just kept setting me back and that was just picking up a drink and picking up another drink which small aside repetition as as an alcoholic is something that really helps us with running i could keep cracking those beers and pouring those drinks one right after another after another and that's the same thing we have to do with our steps when we're running the physical pain one is something that just really speaks to me i didn't realize it when i was younger uh, and i mentioned it on a previous episode uh, but i'm a skateboarder i constantly throughout my my life and in my drinking career and up until i got sober was either living in the failure of my past in this constant level of anxiety or living in the failure of the future. And I was never present. I was never in the moment. And that's something that I've found through sobriety and in particular uh, through running. Uh, Running has really helped me find that. I didn't realize it, but with skateboarding, the pain is something that would bring me into the present. And skateboarding, again, is something with repetition where I would keep trying a trick and I would fall. And I'd get up and I'd try it again and I would fall. And every time I would fall, I was there. I was there in the moment, and I I didn't know that's the thing that got me addicted to it. It brought me into a place where I, I wasn't in my head with all of this anxiety. My drinking career eventually brought me there. I had gotten that condition called ascites, where fluid had filled all over my body, where it was difficult to bend my legs. Fluid had gotten into my lungs, and it was hard to breathe. And I look back at those moments... And how much pain was there, uh, especially not being able to breathe when you're not doing anything. When I go, come on, running, you can't do this to me. No matter how hard I run, it is never going to be as bad as I felt that last year when I was drinking. I go to that and I use that pain to propel me. And I definitely would encourage any drunk who's getting sober and coming into the running world, don't forget where you came from and take that pain and use it to propel you.
0: Pain is not actually a bad thing. I've heard lots of runners talk about how they actually look forward to the pain cave. Courtney Dewalter says that all the time. She looks forward to it. Her race doesn't start until she's in the pain cave. I think a lot of people quit running well before they get to that point. I'm reading the book, The Comfort Crisis right now, and it's really good, by the way. And it talks a lot about pain. Everything we do, is so comfortable from Amazon delivering your box the next day, microwave your food, have your groceries delivered. We don't like to experience a lot of discomfort, but as runners, that's a skill that we need to improve upon. I know that when I'm going to go out running, there's going to be a little bit of pain and discomfort. And I already know that, and I'm okay with that. So yesterday I twisted my ankle a little bit, And I just kind of shook it off, blocked it off, and it hurt for the next five miles. Mentally, that's tough because I was only halfway through my run. I knew I still had 10 miles to go. So with every step, there's pain. How are you going to get through it? It takes practice. It takes mental discipline and focus to keep going when you know you have 10 miles, 13 miles I think a lot of my life experience has taught me to keep going because I never missed a day's work for being hungover. I force myself to wake up early every single day to be there. I think that pain, pain can teach us a lot. And if we can learn how to handle the pain, we're going to push ourselves outside of our comfort zone and see what we're really capable of.
1: I'm glad you used the word Comfort, because I said it, I've heard you both say it in the the Recovery roadrunner Zoom meetings and otherwise, you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. That pertains to sobriety, that pertains to running, and that pertains to life life can't always be a constant comfort fest. The better you can get at embracing that discomfort and using it to grow, the better you're gonna be as a human being.
0: Yeah, and I think that's actually the key to sobriety. When we're drinking, we escape. We use alcohol to escape the pain, to escape the discomfort, the negative emotions. We just escape and we bail out. In order to get sober and maintain that long-term, You have to stop escaping. You have to get used to feeling all the feelings, staying in situations that you would rather escape from. You have to work through them instead of running away from them. For me, that made all the difference once I said, okay, there's no circumstance that is going to come up in which I'm going to drink. I'm going to have to figure out how to handle this on my own without alcohol.
1: Yeah, alcohol had brought ease and comfort to me until it didn't. Yeah, I hear you there.
0: All right, number three, hit stop prowess. You're the master of finding even the smallest slice of cover. You have no problem squatting or whipping it out anywhere. You'll save valuable time by skipping the porta potty lines. (laughs) Oh my God. Well, this one just makes me laugh. It brings to mind like a drunk guy pissing on the wall in a dark alley. Or like, you know, the line for the ladies room is 20 deep. So you go into the men's room and uh, what was that story, Vinny?
2: Yeah, we were talking about this the other day and um, I grew up in New York City. And uh, when I was a kid, we used to go downtown Manhattan and watch the ball drop. When you're getting ready to go home, everybody's trying to get on the last train. And as you can imagine, the, the all the bathrooms are crazy. And I don't, I don't know what it is about women, but they take forever in the bathroom. So the line and the women's bathroom is always three or four times as long as the men's bathroom. So these drunk women would go into the men's bathroom and back up to the urinal and just go. (laughs) You got to be pretty desperate um, and really want to make that trainer. really got to go to, uh, you know, back up to the urinal as a woman in the men's bathroom full of men and just, but nobody really gave a shit because everybody's drunk.
0: Well, nobody has time to wait in a line that has 20 people in it when you can just go into the men's room. I don't think there's anybody listening who has not gone in, any ladies who have not gone into the men's room. But yeah, this one has my mind kind of spinning out a little bit, thinking about just all of the drunken shenanigans. I'm just like, ooh, just embarrassing stuff.
1: This one really brings me back on some things that I haven't even thought about in quite a long time. My whole friend group for a period, we were all big partiers and, you know, we would just drink everywhere we go. And yeah, there'd be times where we'd be driving from one place to another, you know, going from one party to another party and someone would have to have to take a pee. And, you know, we just pull over on the side of the road and, you know, someone would just uh, one of the women would just pop a squat in someone's front yard. You know, it it just didn't matter because because we didn't care. And I I remember too. We we had uh, depends parties. Did you guys ever have one of these where uh, you would wear oh, the uh, adult? No. Uh, yeah, you'd wear the adult diapers. That way, no one had to go to the bathroom, and you just drank and drank and drank and drank.
2: <laughs> That's dedication right there, man. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. I want to see pictures of that. Probably. A-
1: <laughs> I don't know if there's pictures. There might be old um eight millimeter film I could dig up. Uh, we used to film, you know, film so much of our lives. Amber's going to keep talking to
2: avoid the story that I want to tell. Probably. Um, no,
0: I was going to tell a story first.
2: I'm going to tell my story first. So okay. Amber keeps talking about this and it reminds her. Of, so Pit Stop. Amber is the queen of, of the impromptu Pit Stop. On a run doesn't matter where we are she can uh, seek out and find the perfect spot to relieve herself which happens quite a lot i've never seen anybody pee so much in my life
0: well i drink a lot of coffee and a lot of water so it gotta go
2: yeah so there we were we're at the dick collins 50 mile race 40 miles in and it's getting really really hard we're both over it i had to pee so I just pulled up. I don't even think I went in the bush. I just stopped the, on the trail. I started bitching and moaning about the hills, and I'm over this race, and wham, 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 basically crying. And I turn, and Amber's talking to me, and she's she's peeing, but little did we know that she was peeing on top of some poison oak. We knew two days later. <laughs> so Amber got poison oak all over her butt. And it was bad. A bad case of poison oak all over your ass is not a pleasant situation. I've had poison oak on most parts of my body, and it's not pleasant.
0: Yeah, I I just got to (laughs) say I've had poison oak before, but never there. I yeah, I just squatted into some brushy area without looking. And it wasn't until two days later that I knew something was wrong. I was like, "Uh uh-oh. It's so if you've never had poison oak, guys, first it gets really, really hot. And then it starts to turn hard, like a turtle shell. This was like a six inch poison oak spot. It was really hot, really itchy, and really hard, like a shell on my ass. And it lasted for almost a month. I put that cream stuff on it multiple times a day. It was complete misery. Let's just say that I learned my lesson. That was was a tough lesson to learn. Yeah.
2: Watch where you squat in the woods.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was going to say that was probably pretty uncomfortable. And I'll give you a pass on that one. That's not one you ever have to learn to be comfortable with. (laughs) It's okay.
0: (laughs) It left a scar, by the way.
1: Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) hey but there's another story that relates to this topic did you guys see in the boston marathon this year the runner this went viral a ring camera caught a runner peeing on uh this person's grass
2: i don't think he was peeing
0: okay oh yeah yeah, yeah. number number
1: two (laughs) the
0: ring camera caught a runner pulled off from the race straight into their yard and squatted on the grass and this thing went viral i saw it all over facebook and instagram and people were shaming this runner for squatting and i was like come on cut this guy some slack sometimes it comes on fast and there's no porta potty around or sometimes the line has like two or three or four people in it and you can't wait when you're in the boston marathon you're not going to wait in line for the porta potty why is everybody shaming this guy? I would have done the same freaking thing.
1: That that was a wild story when I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> it does. If, if the race
2: has a thousand porta potties, they probably needed a thousand one. There's
1: never enough <laughs> porta potty.
2: I don't know how many times I have peed on a porta potty on the outside of a porta potty.
1: Yeah, again, this is a perfect analog of drinking taught you exactly what you need to do when you're doing these marathons and ultra runs.
0: I was running the Sacramento marathon three or four years ago and I had a goal to break four hours. I had to stop and pee and I waited in line for a porta potty. There was one person in there taking forever. I probably waited for two or three minutes and then used it and kept on going. Guess what? That cost me. I did not break four hours that day. I think it was Four oh five. So I was thinking, shoot, the time that I spent in line for that porta potty just cost me my goal time. That's how it happens, guys.
2: What does it say about us that we spent the most time on the
1: peeing and pooping section of each article?
0: <laughs> yeah, we, We're we can keep.
1: Uh, we can keep going here. <laughs>
0: there was, there, was, sure this, there was
1: this one time. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> okay, number four. Let's move on from the poop. Number four, self-talk. For years, you've either convinced yourself things weren't as bad as they really were or simply censored the subject. You've honed your self-deception and denial skills. These powers of persuasion will always come in handy in a 26.2 miler when your thighs turn into fire hydrants and you still have seven miles to go. For 25 years, I told myself, I don't have a problem there's nothing wrong here. You drink like everybody else. Classic denial, convincing myself that things weren't bad. I was the typical drunk who was drinking enough to black out, drinking so much. I threw up and threw up again. I should have realized a lot sooner probably that I had a problem. You know, like I said, I woke up every morning hungover. I never had one or two I could not stop once I started drinking, but the mental chatter that was in my head was, yeah, this is normal. Everybody else drinks just like me. This is just what people do. This is what college is. This is what my twenties are for. I deserve it because I ran 20 miles today. I deserve it because I just finished a half marathon or a marathon. And now I'm going to celebrate the talk that was in my head was I earned it. I need it. There's nothing wrong with me. Yeah.
2: I'm a, I'm a big self-talker. I don't, uh, bring any like music or anything on most of my runs. And I've been known to, to talk to myself, the workout problems. And sometimes that's, I would even talk out loud to myself. I'm not really sure why, but Yeah, some big major life decisions I've made after running really, really long distances after it's it's really sucking and it really hurts. Comes in handy that when you're you're trying to push through and finish a difficult race, or you know, you're at mile twenty-two of a marathon, or it's three o'clock in the morning and you wanna keep running until the sun comes up, you're gonna have to have some serious conversations with yourself because you're gonna wanna quit if you're used to talking yourself out of quitting, then you you can do that. You're going to talk to anybody who's going to listen. The guy running next to you, you're going to talk to yourself, you're going to talk to God, whoever is going to listen. So self-talk for me is is a huge thing. It's helped me make, like I said, make big decisions. It's helped me finish races. And maybe a lot of it stems from my drinking days when I was trying to convince myself that I wasn't doing harm to my body or people around me, or I just, I wasn't a shitty person and a liar now i I put it to good use, I think
1: Self-talk. Oh, my goodness. I have a couple of different voices in my head. Uh, I referred to it on a previous episode as the ghost in my head. that's that's the old voice of my alcoholism. And that's the one my entire life that told me I wasn't good enough. You're never going to be anything. Why even try? You're just going to fail. And for a good portion of my life, that is the voice that dominated me uh, up there. And once I got into sobriety, for me, I followed through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what really started to awaken me to the idea of changing my mindset and changing my perception of things and and starting to work on mental toughness. And then once I found running, that, uh, that voice was there. Boy, was that voice there again going, what are you doing? This is really hard. You don't need to do this. You should stop, you can stop. Oh, you went one mile, you went two miles. Learning how to deal with that voice, realizing that that voice is just thoughts in my head and that I am above and beyond those thoughts was just such an amazing thing for me to find out in my life. Uh, Meditation has helped me to take that to another level. I just had a run like that today. All of a sudden, I had all of these doubts in my head about, you know, what am I doing? Am I going to be able to make this goal in February? You know, what what are you doing with your life? And it, it just came out of nowhere. So that voice is still very much there, but I've just learned how to deal with it. I set it to the side today, I leaned into my stubbornness, I just kept going because I knew once I finished, I'm gonna reinforce those things in my head that make me a stronger person. On the flip side of that, I found the positive voice in my head, which is there a good majority of the time that tells me I am good enough, that I can do these things, that I can be successful, that I can achieve my goals. And for me, it's been trying to strengthen that portion and trying to push the other one aside. So yeah, there's constant conversations going on in my head. That self-talk is is like a, a couple of crazy people up there, you know?
0: There's a really good four-minute video that talks about this by David Goggins. It's called Wake Up Motherfucker, the most <laughs> inspiring four-minute video you will ever hear. He talks about the bitch voice. And the badass voice, he doesn't have those terms, but it's just what you're saying, Doug. You have that bitch voice in your head that's trying to keep you comfortable. It's trying to keep you small and safe. And it's going to say, you've run far enough. Go ahead and sleep in. You've worked hard enough. Go ahead and treat yourself to a drink. No, that's your bitch voice. And if we want to become a badass, we have to shut that bitch voice down and Literally do the opposite of what it's saying. It takes mindfulness to, first of all, be able to hear that bitch voice inside your head and recognize it for what it is. So when it says you've run far enough, it's time to stop. Do the exact opposite. Always keep going. Run another half mile or a mile. Finish that run. If you said you're going to run 10 miles, run 10 miles. Don't run nine. If you said you're not going to drink for... 30 days, 31 days in January, commit to that and do it. Don't, don't listen to that bitch voice that says, Oh, I stayed sober a week. I think I'm gonna toss in the towel and just, you know, have a drink today. No, do the exact opposite of those pesky thoughts that are keeping you comfortable and safe because nobody ever experienced growth inside their comfort zone. You have to do the opposite of that bitch voice if you want to be a badass. So start listening to your own thoughts and challenge them because every thought that comes into your head is not true. Most of them are lies. Most of them are lies. And it's so funny. Once I got sober, I started to hear that internal dialogue and I'm like, wow, I'm noticing my thoughts. And A lot of this stuff is just straight up garbage. When I'm on a long run and my bitch voice says, you're too tired, your feet hurt, you can't keep going. You might as well just stop and call an Uber. I laugh at it. I'm like, oh my God, listen to this dialogue that's in my head. It is so freaking silly. I'm not gonna stop running and call an Uber. Go fuck yourself, bitch voice. And I keep going. At that point, eat a gel. Or drink some water and shut that voice up.
1: (laughs) I learned that you are not your thoughts. That was just a huge concept for me because I had just been, my thoughts determined everything in my life for a period of time. But I've heard you talk about this before, Amber, about, you know, rewriting your identity. And I love it. David Goggins talks about that in his book, how there was David Goggins. And then when he was doing these runs, it was Goggins. And that was a totally different person and a totally different persona that he could he could pull out. And you can have fun with this. You you can create little characters for yourself if that's what's going to push you through and shut up that stupid voice in your head.
0: Oh, hell yeah. It's the alter ego. And like Patrick Corbett, she's known as the dirt diva. If anybody's listening, I'm looking for an alter ego. Instead of calling me Amber, I'm trying to think of uh, what I could call myself as I'm out there running. So if you have a name for me, go ahead and send it my way. But yeah, Goggins is Goggins. She's the dirt diva. And you got to do what you got to do, man, to put yourself into that badass superhero mindset of I am not going to quit. It is not in my nature. I'm going to finish this race. I'm going to stay sober no matter what. No excuses. You got to kill your excuses. Let's move on to number five. You know solitude. You've already spent quite a bit of time alone, either alone in your own head or alone because you've been kicked out of the bar again. And you'll dwell in isolation a lot as a marathoner too. This makes me think of, I wanted to be alone and get some privacy so that I could drink as much wine as I wanted without anybody judging me. I wanted to be alone so that people would stop talking to me. I'm like, just go away. So I can watch my show and have my wine. And I don't think I would have done that if I wasn't drinking. I wouldn't have been seeking isolation, pushing everybody away. The only thing I cared about was my next drink, my next bottle of wine. It caused me to seek isolation and and just put every friend, family member away. I'm like, don't bother me. I'm drinking. And it's so sad to think about. Um, And I did like to go out to the bars. That was more in my younger years before I had kids. But once I had kids, it was like bedtime. The kids are in bed and they're asleep. And now it's just me and the wine bottle. Bye bye world. Leave me the hell alone.
2: For me, drinking was always all about the social aspect of it. That was my jam. I never missed a good party. Always look forward to the after work. Bar meetup, which was every day. I've been kicked out of probably every bar I've ever ever been in. But now I welcome that alone time, long run out in the woods on the trail by myself. No music, just me. And like Doug said, the three or four voices that are in my head. Yeah. So that's what does it for me now.
1: Yeah. I heard you very specifically use the word isolation, Amber, when you were talking about uh, your drinking days. I think there's a definite difference between isolation and solitude. Isolation is when you're trying to separate yourself from society where you have this feeling of not being a part of and that's very much where my alcoholism and my drinking took me. Yeah. Um it just kept pushing me away from other people until I was, you know, drinking alone uh into oblivion and that was very much isolation for me. It's sad but That was very much training for the solitude of running. And I feel like solitude has a a more positive connotation to it where, you know, solitude is really like a state of being content with yourself, where you're comfortable with yourself, where you can be alone with yourself and with your thoughts and be okay with it. That's what I'm working towards when I run. I'd like to be a more social runner, but I've done most of my running alone. I've gone to most of my runs alone until I met my wonderful wife, who's been so supportive. Um, she comes to the majority of my runs and that's been wonderful. But I've I've found it hard for my for myself to find a running buddy. I'm jealous of both of you, that, that you get to go out together. But then there's a part of me that goes, I like just getting out on my own. I like to do my own thing.
0: Yeah, and to be honest with you, Vinny and I, I mean, he just said he doesn't listen to music, he doesn't listen to podcasts, nothing. He doesn't bring headphones when he runs, and I do. So, half the time I put them in my little fanny pack and don't take them out because I want to talk to Vinny. But the other half of the time, I put at least one earbud in because I want to listen to music. I want to listen to my next audiobook. And I'm like, sorry, Vinny, this is what I love to do. I love to run and put my headphones in and zone out. And it's nothing against you. It's not because I don't want to talk to you, it's because I want to listen to this audiobook, and this is my time to do that. I want to listen to my music, and this is my time. It's what I've been doing for thirty years, and it's what I'm gonna keep doing. I I love your point, Doug, about isolation versus solitude. I've definitely found that in sobriety, I can be alone with myself in solitude and be at peace. I don't have to run away from the thoughts in my head anymore. I if they're bad. Or uncomfortable, I know how to get through them and tame them without booze. I've got tips for you guys on that later. You know, running long distance races, you're going to be out there for hours and hours by yourself. And even though I'm listening to music or listening to an audiobook, I do enter into that flow state where my mind wanders and I start to get into really deep thought. And I have some of the most Inspiring epiphanies when I'm running, when I'm out on a long run, I'm like, wow, it all makes sense. Or, wow, I just had a really great idea. It comes from entering into that flow state when you're running. You know, the longer that you can be out there for 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, three hours, and obviously build up to this, guys, with running and walking, that time spent out on the trail and out on the road pounding the pavement. It's like therapy. It's like an active meditation. I love it. I definitely feel that runner's high that people talk about almost every time that I run after a mile or two, I get into that flow state. I feel that runner's high and the runner's high is the best high there is. You can get it anytime and there's never any shame or regret.
1: I'll just say, uh, I listen to music and audiobooks and whatnot when I run as well. And uh, let me just say, Vinny, I really respect people who can go without that. I mean, that is like the the essence of just getting out there and enjoying the world and nature. And I'm not quite there yet. I don't know if I'm using the music and the audio to try and control some of those thoughts in my head. It's something that maybe I should uh, meditate on.
2: I think I like myself better now.
1: So I'm okay with being
2: alone by myself. And I think when I was drinking, I didn't like myself much. So I'm with people that kind of distracted me from myself.
0: All right. We've got one more topic to cover before we wrap it up. If they can do it, so can you. We've got examples of real life badasses who have quit their alcohol and drug addictions and gotten into running or triathlons or whatever it is. Katra Corbett, she comes up again and again because she's one of the most well-known recovered addicts who is now into running. And then he said, she's run more than 100, 100 milers. That girl had it hard, man. She struggled with food addiction. I think it was anorexia and bulimia. She suffers from mental illness, from alcoholism. I think she might've dabbled in with pills and now she's running 200 mile races and winning them. She's setting FKTs all over California. She doesn't live too far from us. Vinny and I, uh, I've chatted her up on Instagram a couple of times. I would love to go meet her in person one day, but there's also people like Rich Roll. Rich Roll was one of the first recovered alcoholics that I ever came across that I was like, wow, that guy's sober and an ultra runner. Rich Roll, he's a podcaster, influencer, ultraman. He's done some amazing things. I love his podcast. There's hundreds of them now, but you can go to his podcast and search by topic. Just search alcoholic or sobriety and some of the best episodes will pop up. And I'll let let Vinny talk about this more. There's so many people that we can look to for inspiration who have been there and done that. (laughs) Everybody inside Recovery Roadrunners. There's some badass people right inside our group. People who, they're 10 years sober. They run a race every week. And it's like, wow, they're out there in their community, supporting sobriety, talking about their recovery. And they're inspiring other people. You know, they're wearing their recovery roadrunner shirt, like you're doing, Doug. They're wearing their triple R stuff, their hats, their hoodies. And they're opening up the conversation to other people who run and just saying, yeah, I don't drink anymore. I'm in recovery. And just opening that conversation to a stranger or to another group of runners, it can be life-changing and completely eye-opening. For somebody to hear like, wow, you don't drink? And then all the questions, but do you still have fun? You know, like, how do you do it? All the stuff. You never know who you might be talking to that needs to hear your message of how you got sober, how you did it, why you did it, that life is better on the other side. So just looking into the community, there's hundreds of books that you can read. About sober athletes, sober Iron Men. What do you think, Benny? I know you have your list.
2: If you needed any real life examples, so real life proof that former junks do make unstoppable runners. There are, like I said, plenty of real life examples, and some of these people may be familiar to the listeners. People like Katrick Corbett. She's also an author. She's awesome. I've seen her on the Ritual podcast, I think a couple times. Her running rate resume is just amazing. She's run over a hundred hundred mile races, including the Badwater 135. She's the oldest finisher of the Triple Crown of 200 mile races. She's got multiple multi-day FKTs to her credit. An FKT, if you don't know, is the fastest known time. Um, one of those is a double completion of the John Muir Trail. Another guy, probably the most, uh, the guy I was most impressed with was uh, Timothy Timothy Olson. He's a a two-time winner of the Western States Endurance Run, which is the oldest and probably the, it's like the World Series of 100-mile races in the United States. He won that race in 2012 and 2013, back-to-back, set a course record. And at one time, he held the fastest known time for the Pacific Crest Trail. Dude averaged 51.3 miles a day for 51 days. Pretty incredible. And then a guy you know, Doug, we've read, we've all, I think all three of us have read David Clark's books. So before his, uh, you know, his unexpected passing, he completed 29 ultra marathons, uh, including the, the quad Boston, which he created, which is a four, uh, you complete the Boston Marathon four times in a row. The last one of those four being the actual race. And he created and did that race to support and help victims and yeah, people in recovery and their families. Plenty of evidence out there that uh, former drunks do make unstoppable,
1: great runners. Yeah, you had uh, turned me on to the David Clark book, and I just couldn't believe the similarities in our stories. I mean, it's like that on any sober uh, runner I come across. uh, The similarities are immense, but uh, David Clark in particular really spoke to me. I mean, there were just some eerie, eerie similarities. He had an idea in that book. uh, Well, not an idea. He executed it where uh, he was uh, blogging about going through the 12 steps while he was training for a run. And Actually, that's something I think I want to emulate next year uh, in the lead up to uh, the marathon that I want to qualify for Boston. So that's something we can talk about down the road. I've come into this running community very green. I've only just started to be exposed to some of these great people who you just spoke about. I just listened to Rich Roll's Finding Ultra. I mean, only like a month or two ago, because I just I just fell into running and I just fell in love with it. Speaking from my own experience, I can just say that. Let me tell you, if I can do it, anybody can do it. I mean, I, I was gone. I, you know, I was 350 pounds. Uh, I, I couldn't walk up a set of stairs and it, it's again, just, you know, getting to that place of, of wanting to change, finding the willingness to change and, and taking action. You know, one little, little tip and little piece of advice that I can give is for, for anyone who's competitive, be competitive with yourself. Don't compare yourself to other people because there's always going to be people who are faster than you. There's always going to be people who have more sobriety than you. Don't compare, relate. And if you do those things, you will find that you improve and eventually there will be no competition because you're constantly beating yourself.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's a really good point. I've had a lot of conversations with people who I coach and they say, well, I see you on Strava, Amber, and you're running 20 miles at 930 pace. I can't do that. It speaks to your point, Doug. You know, don't compare yourself to me. I've been doing this forever, and, you know, I'm a running coach. You're not me. Your journey is completely different from anybody else's. So wherever you're at, just know you're not behind. This is exactly where you are supposed to be at the exact right time. So I love that you said that, Doug, because comparison is the death of joy. If you need to get off Strava, stop comparing yourself to people who have been doing this for five years. If you're new, look at you, look at what you did yesterday or last week or last month, start a little running journal or a sobriety journal and just remember how far that you've come and just keep going.
1: Yeah, Um, I loved it. Vinny had posted recently. Uh, I think it was your first run back out when you decided to start running again after your fat and lazy period. I looked at that and I could really relate. And that's what it's all about. Don't compare, relate. Thanks for posting that, yeah. by the way, Vinny. That was that was yeah. awesome to see.
2: Yeah, I I don't like when people say they can't do something because you can just replace the word can't with won't. You're just saying I won't do it. Like Amber said, you're looking at somebody else's Strava and you say I can't run twenty miles. Well. How do you know you can't run 20 miles? You have to run one first, right? And if you're you're preloading these excuses and making, you're making excuses before you even start so that you feel better about yourself for not starting. That's just my thoughts. Just get out there and go do something. You're never going to know what you can do unless you try. You got to take one
0: step to take 10.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: It reminds me of a quote, only those who will risk going too far will ever find out how far one can go.
1: That's a great quote.
0: Yeah. All right, guys, it is time to wrap this up. This has been a fun, interesting, hopefully enlightening and inspiring conversation for the listeners. I did want to mention before we go that if you want to get into our small group, we have a small group that is training for their next race. It's called Quit Like a Runner. You can join Quit Like a Runner with me and Vinny and Doug, or you could just sign up for your next training plan. If you want to, if you want coaching for your first sober half marathon for sober marathon, sign up with me and Vinny. Um, you can even get coached by the hour or the half hour. So if you just want to dip your toe into coaching, you can do that. Or if you're ready to go all in, sign up with the group, we've got 14 people going and we're just getting into January. And so We're ready to take it to the next level. So if you're ready, we're here for you. So go to the website, recoveryroadrunners.com and click on coaching to hear all about it.
1: Speaking from experience, I had done all of my own training up until I asked Amber and Vinny, they would coach me. And there is a definite difference uh, when you have someone who's been there and done that and is a certified coach and knows the science behind it. I am growing leaps and bounds from where I was able to take myself, and it's because I asked for help and I found people who know more than me. You know, coaching, it works. It helps you improve faster, no question about it.
2: Yeah, Yeah. you gotta do the work. You're doing the work and you're reaping the benefits. Yeah, that part
1: too, you have to do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One of the best benefits of signing up with us is you get into the small group community. You're gonna make friends people who you can call and talk to every day. We have a Marco Polo group that is going off all day. And it's, Hey guys, this is what I'm up to. Hey guys, can you help me with this? You know, the conversation that happens in that group is amazing and inspiring and supportive and Having a community and friends, real friends that you can talk to in sobriety, it is the missing piece for a lot of people. So come on and join us guys. All right, so happy new year, everybody. Stay sober one day at a time, one mile at a time. Yeah,
2: happy new year, everybody. Get out there and run.